and tell you that you can have all the head knowledge you want of Jesus. You can be in church all of your life, and you could be a, a deacon, you can be a, a Sunday school teacher, but until you've had a, a change by the power of God, because you stand in His presence, until that, that standing there, realizing how sinful you are and how much you need Jesus, and you get on your knees, whether it be physically or metaphorically, and you confess your sin to Jesus, until you've had that experience, you don't know God. Joe had that experience, folks. The gospel is more than head knowledge and a scent of knowledge, but it becomes heart knowledge, becomes knowing in your inner being. And I can't explain it any more than that. If you haven't had that experience, you need that experience. We're back in the book of 1 Corinthians today. And as you turn there, and it'll be on the screen too, there's a man trying to find a parking space outside of the local Walmart. And you know how that can be on a busy day. He can't find a single spot. He must have been down here in Claremont. He looks skyward and says, Lord, if you grant me this space, I'll come to church every Sunday like a good Baptist. And lo and behold, the space right in front of him comes open. And then he looks skyward and he says, never mind, Lord, I found one. Yeah, that's how we treat God sometimes. Today is the first part of a series, uh, well, first part of this section in Scripture where we talk about what we did this morning, communion with God and each other. And this is an important part of the Scriptures. And Paul preached the gospel here in Corinth in the early 50s during his second missionary journey. And he gives them instruction. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now, given these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your text, to your scripture, we ask that you would open our minds in our physical understanding and in our spiritual understanding to know just how important this, these sections of scriptures that are coming up really are to our lives. Lord, we ask that you would help us to dig into the Scripture and to apply it to our lives and to figure out what's going on here. And we praise you for this, God. Change us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our life principle today is Jesus and his church are to be honored and don't put him to an open shame. Jesus and the church are to be honored, so don't put them to an open shame. First of all, he says we should have proper divisions in the church. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen says, But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. 
First, I hear there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you have God's approval, and God's approval will be recognized. In our scripture, Paul has moved on from what he was talking about to conduct in the church, how to conduct ourselves. You see, communion during this time was much more like our fellowship breakfast or fellowship suppers that we're used to as Baptists. But they always had a remembrance in it of the Lord Jesus. Imagine it like this. We meet for supper after church, kind of like we're going to do for homecoming next week. And in the beginning of that, we stop and do what we call communion. Except the whole thing, that whole time, like we did this morning, is not just a part of it and then we have supper. No, the whole thing is communion. It's not just ceremony. When we take communion, it's about our heart. When we have fellowship suppers together, it's about our heart. It's about remembering Jesus. Now, the first thing Paul points out is that they get together during a time that the Holy Spirit is with them. And Jesus is in the midst of them. And they have hard feelings against each other. There is division. There is anger brewing underneath the surface. They should deal with that before they come together for communion or for the Lord's Supper. Matthew 5.23 says, So if you are presenting a sacrifice to the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Here's the kicker. The person who's going to the other is not the one who is upset. It's the other party, the one who's not upset. Let's say I tick one of you off, and I know that's so hard for you to believe, but let's say I tick one of you off, and I know that I did, but you have not yet come to me about it. You have not yet sought me out. Well, then my job is to not wait for you, but my job as a Christian is to go to you and make it right as much as it's possible and then bring my gift before the Lord, then bring my worship before the Lord, then take part in communion. Now, let's say I ticked you off and I don't know about it. Maybe I do. I don't know. And I haven't come to make it right with you. Now, as a Christian, it falls to you, since I don't know about it, to make it right, to talk to me instead of stewing about it. But if you don't know that they're ticked off, what do you do? It falls to them to make it right. Now, let's talk a minute about whatever this gift is. He says, take your gift, leave it at the altar. What's he talking about here? Well, you see, Jesus is using what they would have been familiar with, and that's the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, if you were to come and make a sin offering or come before God's altar to make any offering, whether it be for purity or piety, or I mean, they had a list of offerings, sin offer, offerings of what to bring. Jesus saying, it's not about the offering. It's about examining your relationship before you, God, and other people. Jesus is saying to examine your relationships before you come to a holy God before you give that offering at the altar and to make it right. Otherwise, what happens? Otherwise, it just becomes ceremony. Otherwise, it just becomes another thing, but it is not holy. Paul is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to deal with our petty divisions, 
before we come into communion with God and with each other. This is what must be done so that we do not dishonor God and bring reproach on ourselves. Folks, I have seen people get upset at fellowship dinners. Did you know that? I have. Well, how come nobody ate my chocolate cake and ate all of yours? Maybe they didn't want to cut into your chocolate cake because it was too pretty. But instead, they get into a fight over it and then we get to send out letters and call deacons meetings and all that other good stuff that we don't do around here, thank God. Paul's telling us that we need to make it right. We need to get over these things. But pastor, somebody's saying, what, what do you do if you go to the person, but they'll not forgive you? They'll not give you a fresh start. I'm glad you asked that. I have someone in my life right now that I am constantly dealing with. And you ever just met somebody who knows how to push that one button? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Constantly button pushers. And they do it on purpose, too. And, and no, I'm not talking about my wife, just so you know. I want you to know that before we go on. But uh, then we get angry or we get upset and, and, and they'll say, see, I told you you're a hypocrite. Well, that just makes it even worse. Because like, oh, man. God has an answer for that situation, though. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, following. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you, that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You know, this scripture, as I was growing in the Lord, I'd get really mad at somebody for something they did. I mean burning mad. As I was growing up in the Lord, just learning the scriptures, and I came across that, and my pastor said to me, Joe, just do good to them, because you're going to heap evil, all the burning coals on their head. That's what the scripture says. I said, but I don't want to do that. God is asking you to be different. Think different. And so when you do, you find out they don't like it very much. Like when the scripture says, turn away wrath with a soft word. That just makes them matter. So in my mind, see, my, my little vengeful mind at the time, <laughs> sucks for you, dude. But then the Lord's like, ha ha, repent. I was like, okay, Lord, you win. This is not an easy thing to do. That's what I'm trying to say. When the person or people you're dealing with push that button over and over and over again, guess what? You have to admit your fault to them over and over and over again. And if they hear you finally, great. If they don't, then you've done your part. In a situation like this, you ask God to change you so that you don't have to repent over and over and over again. That you can move on from it, that you can grow in Christ. So that you don't get so angry that you say something stupid or do something stupid. Ask God to turn you into the person that he wants you to be. 
You've fallen, yes, now get up. And when it happens again, let it go and do better. Remember that in Philippians 3.12, what Paul said, he said, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection to which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. This is coming from Paul. This is coming from a man that, that has experienced pettiness in his own life. He and Barnabas had a fight and they split up, did their own missionary journeys. And then at the end he said, boy, I was wrong, I'm glad that I have Mark with me. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. 19. See, the, the argument was over John Mark, whether or not they should take him or leave him, because the last time they were together, he left because he was homesick, and Paul was like, nah, leave him. Barnabas was like, nah, we're going to give him another chance. And then they split. That's Paul the Apostle. That's the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Guess what? <laughs> You're in good company. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, But of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. Now there's a couple of things going on here. One, this kind of division is between those who are approved by God and those who aren't. This means that it's obvious to all who are living in open sin and those that aren't. If I'm living in sin, either with another individual, whether that be heterosexuality or homosexuality, then I'm not living approved unto God, and I shouldn't partake in, the, in communion. If I have not dealt with my relationships with others and made things right with them and people are mad, and you know they're mad, then I am not approved unto God to take communion. If I'm an open gossip or an open liar or an adulterer or whatever the sin may be, I am not approved unto God. There should be a division here amongst the brethren we should not partake of the communion celebrations. There are times in my life when I just, I feel like, Lord, something's not quite right. Especially since I know we do communion once a month. I think to myself that week before, Lord, if there's anything wrong, show me. Lord, help me to make it right. Lord, I need your help in this. It's not something that you just take willy-nilly and you do it right all right before then, you've got to start thinking ahead, thinking advance. And you say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner in this, 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 and this area. Forgive me. Help me to change that. I repent. Lord, what am I not seeing that you see? What am I not seeing that you see? When we're not right, we need to get right before we come to his table. Number two, the other thing that's in view here, not just that, but what about false teachers or those that were practicing idolatry? And this happened in, in the church at Corinth. They shouldn't be partaking of communion either. That division should exist, but not petty divisions. Someone like this reminds me of the warnings that Jesus gave in Matthew 18, verse 6. 
He says, but if you cause one of these little ones, now he's specifically talking to children here, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's some strong language. Then he says, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Not just the little ones, but people. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? Ooh. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. The person who tempts God's children, whether they be young or old, are not approved unto God, and they should not be allowed to partake of communion. Speaking of difficulty in relationships, a son went to his dad and he said, Daddy, what is string theory? Dad, not being a particle physicist, says, that's pretty hard. Why don't you ask me something easier? So he waits a minute and he thinks and he says, okay, why does mommy get mad sometimes? Well, son, string theory is a theoretical framework in which the point-like particle... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I'm there with him sometimes. All right. Don't defile yourself with self-centeredness. That's number two. Don't defile yourself with self-centeredness. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty and 22 through 22. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Ooh, you mean that, that happens at fellowship dinners? Yeah. That happens at people that are just attending services? Yes. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Can you imagine that? As a Baptist, somebody getting drunk during, dur during service or, or during a communion or fellowship dinner time? What, he says. Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. There's a lot going on here in this little verse, and we could go over it and nitpick it and pull everything out that we can get out of it. But I'm going to touch the high points. First, Paul addresses their improper divisions and divisiveness. We saw that first. Now he says that they aren't really interested in the Lord's Supper. They're more interested in their own stomachs. Folks, there are people in churches all across this nation that aren't interested in communion. They're not interested in fellowship dinners. They're not interested in being a part of God's church. They're in it for themselves. For their own stomachs, as it were. They've taken their eyes off the subject and the meaning of the event and turned the interest inward on themselves. They've turned that which is holy into that which is profane. How often have we done this in our own lives as it relates to God's 
anything that's God's, any of the things of God? How often have we traded that which is holy for our own desires and not God's will? How often have we decided that our desires are more important than God's? But someone's saying, Pastor, I have done this. I have followed God's desires all my life. Yeah, have you though? Have I? And if you say you have, have you done it perfectly and in all things? Well, no. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He told them to go into all the nations. But you know what happened? For the most part, those early believers, that is before 70 AD, and there was an event there, they just hung around Jerusalem. Even some of the apostles just hung around Jerusalem for a while. What happened in 70 AD? Well, the temple and the city of Jerusalem were pretty much destroyed by the Romans. Then they were forced to go to other nations because there was nothing there but pain and hardship. And there was a massive scattering of Christians over what was known of the area at the time, known as the world. And the gospel was carried everywhere. While there were missionaries and apostles before this that went on and planted churches, such as Paul and Barnabas, there was a huge dispersion after this. I call this a call to Christ from the unknown masses. We don't have their names, but God does. They're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They took their faith wherever they went. They built churches. They saw converts and disciples. Have you taken Christ everywhere you have gone in your life? No matter where. No matter where you've ended up. To what seems like just a natural part of life, moving around to get you physically from one place to the other. Have you taken Christ and shared the faith? Have you spread the gospel? Many times God will use our circumstances and our our problems and our things in our lives to get his will accomplished, just like he did to those early Christians. Do you think it was easy for them to lose everything? But they did, and they went forward, and they still proclaimed the gospel. Looking at our main text, 1 Corinthians 11, 21 again. For some of you hurry to eat, your own meal, without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What, don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. People in their fellowship dinners, their communions, were thinking only of themselves. Folks, there are those in our churches, in our church gatherings, who will load up their food on these fellowship dinners. They'll eat quickly, and they'll be gone before others have a chance to eat. Why? Because they don't want to share. There are those who load up their plates and throw away a bunch of food. Selfishness. There are those that don't look out for other people on a daily basis. 
There are those that are only worried about what they can get. And they call themselves Christians. That's not Christ-like behavior, I'm sorry to tell you. Christ-like behavior looks out for others. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, though I'm not going to go there. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not desire its own. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. 1 John 3.17 says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That was Philippians 2, 4. I, must have said, I think I said 2, 14. Paul said that these so-called Lord's Supper times, these communion times, this time in the church and spending with each other and praising God are really not. But they are in actuality a time of bringing disgrace to God's church. Shaming other people. You know, shaming the poor, the people we're supposed to have with us, the people we're supposed to be looking out for, the people we're supposed to help. They put them to an open disgrace in front of everybody. They wanted Paul to praise them for their piety in their church. You know what his response is? Uh, no. He refuses. What was supposed to be a good thing turns into a bad thing. Turns out to be for evil. And God has no part in it. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This scripture is talking to those in the world who do not know better, but, but how much more for those of us who are Christians who know better and call evil good and good evil. How much worse for us who put Jesus to an open shame. This is why further down in this section, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, which includes what he did, his sacrifice, and those that are called by his name, we are the body of Christ. Each of us, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Folks, there is judgment when we're not right before God, and we say, this is for God. Folks, when we leave here next week and we go into fellowship dinner, or when we have our fellowship breakfasts, it's a time to be with Jesus. It's a time to be with each other. It's a time that should be honored. Because we are the body of Christ, and he says where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst. I'm not just talking about this ceremony up here, but I'm talking about when we're together. He is there in the midst. Let us not bring reproach. What does Paul say next? He says, but if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. There's a lot of people out there who are call themselves Christians, and maybe they are, some of them, and they've walked away from God. Well, let me tell you something. You're opening yourself up, if you're not right with Him, to judgment. There are some people, I believe, it says that there is a sin that leads unto death. Did you know that? 
in Scripture. I believe that sin for the Christian, and I can't be completely dogmatic about it, but I believe the Scriptures hold it up. I believe that sin for the Christian is walking away from God to the point where you will do more harm for the kingdom than you will do good, and He's going to take you out of this world. And we can discuss that if we want to discuss it. It's in Hebrews. Interesting. God expects more than just a confession. He expects everything you've got to be given to Him on that day of salvation. There's many a person who's gone into the waters of baptism. Baptismals, streams, rivers, lakes, oceans. And said, I, I'm getting baptized. I'm a Christian now. And they go down a dry center and just come up a wet one because nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. When God moves in, there's always some kind of change. Always. And let me say, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, no matter where you are in the world, you need to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you don't know, you need to know Him. He died for your sin on a Roman cross. He didn't deserve it. He was sinless. Born of a virgin. Lived 30 years and 3 years. He did signs, wonders, and miracles and declared Himself the Son of God. The second in the Trinity. And then on the third day, He rose over death, hell, and the grave. He, put it, he led captivity captive, the Scripture says. What a great day. That's the gospel. And it says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Folks, today is the day of your salvation, the scripture says. If you don't know him, it's as simple as Jesus help. Because it's not what you say but it's how deep down you're crying out to a loving God to save you from your sin and deliver you from all your unrighteousness. To the Christian who has either walked away or is living a nominal Christian life in, in what we would call lukewarm Christian life, don't get to a place where there's no use for you here on earth. And don't effortly ever get to the place where you'll do more harm for the kingdom of God than you will do good and he will take you out. Well, you've, you've heard it. He just died of a heart attack. I heard it not too long ago from a gentleman I know at another church. He was out running. This must have been a year ago. He was out running with a friend from church. Physically fit, active. Dropped over dead of a heart attack. When they did the autopsy, they didn't find anything wrong with his heart. They didn't find anything wrong with him. He just dropped over dead. Folks, sometimes that's the judgment of God. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is. Let's make sure that we've repented before a holy God. Let's make sure we're living the life that the Holy Spirit wants us to live. If you'd like to join this church by baptism, by statement, 
However, we're up here. We, I'll pray with you. You can make your statement. If you don't know Jesus and you'd like me to introduce you to him, I can do that too. As we stand and sing the invitation song, Miss Joe.